See you later, Eleanor. No one ever says goodbye to her, do they? You, you can say goodbye to Eleanor. It's uh, very sad that she's not in here with us. Uh, but she will, she's having a good holiday, I believe, and she'll be back soon. Uh, friends, open your Bibles to uh, Ephesians. Sorry, not Ephesians. Don't do that. That would be silly. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 would be a good place to open it to, though, um, and have it open there. I think that would be a great thing to do. Uh, let me pray as we ask God to help us as we listen to him speak to us in his word today. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for your wonderful goodness to us. Thank you that you are straight with us. You speak to us what is real and true, and you call us to put our faith and trust in you. We ask, Lord God, that today as we uh, listen to you speak to us in your word, uh, that we might have hearts ready to hear and respond with faith. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've been uh, listening and reading and reflecting on this incredible book of Ecclesiastes now for quite a few weeks. Uh, and as you perhaps have heard me say before, it's got the potential to be a little bit depressing, doesn't it? Uh, you know, we've uh, talked about death a lot the last couple of weeks, uh, and again this morning, of course. Uh, and the author sounds like a little bit of a bore. You know, he's uh, so many great things in our world, and we have got great things in our world, haven't we? God made a good world, um, but to him, all futile. They all come to nothing. And in chapter one, if I just kind of reflect back where we've been, he's talked about the momentous nature of, uh, sorry, the, not the momentous, the monotonous nature of life under the sun. And we all, of course, know what he means. You get up in the morning, you prepare breakfast, you eat breakfast, and then you have to clean up after yourself. And it's the same for every day, uh, every meal, prepare it, eat it, clean up again. And there always seems to be much more cleaning up than there does preparation, but anyway, and on it goes. Which is why he says in chapter 1, verse 8, that all things are wearisome, more than one can say. Or in chapter 2, uh, he considers all the pleasures that he tried and he concludes that even they are just wind chasing. Or in chapter 5, he shows that even religion adds to the vanity uh, because religion is about doing things to earn the favour of God, but we can't do anything to put God in our debt. God doesn't owe religious people any special favours, and so any attempts to twist God's arm to make him favour us by being religious is a futile waste of time. Even wealth, cops are hammering in chapter 5. In verse 10, uh, the person who strives after wealth is never satisfied, it's never enough. Again, it's foolishness. A number of years back, uh, Time magazine ran a story that looked at the things that were common addictions across different age groups. Uh, they found that the common addiction of a child uh, was sweet things, lollies, that kind of thing. Uh, for the teenager, it was sex. For the middle-aged, their common addiction was wealth. And for the older person, the most common addiction was power. It seems that people are always looking for something that will give their life meaning, that will make life worthwhile. We crave after things that we think will satisfy in some way. But the conclusion of the teacher or the preacher is that all of them are ultimately vanity, a striving after the wind. None of them achieve any lasting gain in this life or the next. In fact, in chapter 8, not even power and authority add any meaning to life. And then you get to chapter 9 where we are today and the final nail in the coffin, so to speak, of this fleeting, frustrating existence. That is, life is out of your control, and then you die. And so the preacher might sound like a bore, 
But he's right. Life under the sun is vanity, a mist, a vapour. But he's also given us a few glimpses of how to live well. And hopefully you've seen those as well. And today he pushes us even further and he says, have a go. Uh, Put yourself out there. You can live well. Don't be frozen into inaction by the challenges and difficulties of this fleeting and frustrating world. And when I was a young guy, I was shy. I lacked confidence. Uh, And so I was asked to, if I was ever in church, for example, asked to pray out loud or read the Bible publicly, uh, my immediate response was no chance. Maybe it's yours as well. Um, Coming for you. Uh, If it was my turn to give a presentation at school, I would do everything possible to avoid that class. As I got older, I was pushed into bigger opportunities like doing a presentation for prospective clients or leading a ministry or uh, later preaching a sermon. And I found that I needed to convince myself that it was was worth a try. And so I used to ask myself a question, what's the worst thing that can happen? And I decided if it wasn't going to cause my death or the death of another, um, then I'd live to fight another day, then it was worth at least giving it my best shot. And that did to some degree work for me for a little while. It helped me to push through some difficult things. Uh, But what I needed to do was simply to take Ecclesiastes to heart. Because Ecclesiastes actually understands our world with all of its challenges and with all of its evil. And it shows us how to live well by trusting God and serving him in every aspect of our lives today. But to do that, we need to come to terms with some things. Firstly, we need to come to terms with death and uncertainty. Uh, Have a look at chapter 9 again. uh, Thanks for reading it, Shane. Uh, Chapter 9, verse 1. Let me pick it up there. He says, But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And as he who swears is, is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the dead. That is, he is saying... Death is our common destiny. It comes to everyone, whether righteous or wicked, wise or foolish, religious or irreligious, rich or poor. The one certainty is death. It doesn't seem fair. I mean, death makes a mockery of how you live. It's the ultimate roadblock to life. Death ends the life lived for gain in this world. See, no matter what human beings do, seek wisdom, chase pleasure, pursue fame, work for wealth, it results ultimately in no lasting gain. There will be no more gain. And what we have gained is lost for good. Any gain that is made is at best short term and all of us are actually heading in the same direction. To put it a little bit bluntly, we live for the nursing home doesn't get any better from today on. Sorry, guys, it's good, isn't it? <laughs> the hair replacement guy, Roger Lindeback. Uh, sorry, I could have said Dave Dorman, couldn't I? But anyway, the dentist, the doctor, the nip and tuck lady, Rod, 
um, can't ward off the inevitable. As much as the Kardashians try, it's coming. Right? And so the author of Ecclesiastes concludes that given the ultimate futility of death, it's at least better to be alive than it is to be dead. Look at verse 4. But he who is joined with all the living has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. And they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished. And forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. You know, a dog was a, a despised animal in the ancient world, whereas a, a lion was the grandest of all creatures. But what he's saying here is it's better to be despised and living than grand but dead. It's better to be a poor beggar on the street than Steve Jobs. Why? Well, because Steve Jobs is dead. Living people can still gain something, but dead people can gain nothing, and even if the memory of them fades. Even knowing you'll die is better than knowing nothing, says Ecclesiastes. And even negative emotions are better than no emotions at all. The teacher knows that as human beings, we're not masters of our own destinies. As much as we try to avoid it or ignore it, the one great certainty of life is that death comes to all. The best thing we can do is accept that reality because when we do, it will free us to really live. If you knew you only had one year to live, it would really help you to sharpen your perspective on what really mattered in life. However, the other side of that truth, that death is certain, is that life itself is full of uncertainty. I have a look there at verse 11. Again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor the bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favour to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. Now we look at that list and we think, well, actually, mostly, mostly those things do happen. I mean, the swift normally do win the races. The strong win the battles. The intelligent are most likely to get the best jobs that pay the best money. Mostly that's the case. But it's never certain. Time and chance happen in all those situations. I mean, some of you will remember the classic Stephen Bradbury victory uh, at the 2002 Winter Olympics. Uh, the slowest speed skater by a long way to make a final. Uh, he's 20 metres behind the other four competitors in the final. But as they come around the final bend, the whole four stack it and Stephen Bradbury cruises through to win the gold medal. Um, I'm sure some of you saw it. Great for Steve. Let's spare a thought for the other four, perhaps. See, nothing is absolutely certain in this life. A failed exam. Unmet desires. A harmful spouse. A sick child. An injury. A victim of crime. And of course, sometimes those uncertain things happen in our favour, like Steve Bradbury. But things won't always turn out the way we hope or imagine. All those unpredictable things point us to a world and to a God that is bigger than us. All is in God's hand, Ecclesiastes says, there in chapter 9, verse 1. So live patiently. Trust God's mysterious sovereignty is rule over our world. And remember that God's judgment will put all things right. What will be, will be. So don't think that you can outsmart it. Instead, get on 
and live wisely in God's world. Look at verse 7 and following. He says, Go, eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved of what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. I don't know if you've noticed, but seven times in Ecclesiastes, the preacher commands joy. This is actually the sixth time. We'll see it again next week. But he says, go, eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. Go is an imperative in this passage. It's it's a command to enjoy the good gifts that God gives. God has given us good things to enjoy. He wants us to embrace them as gifts and enjoy the refreshment that they bring. So here's actually what Adam and Eve got wrong from the very beginning. God lavished them with the good gifts of his creation, food and drink and all of the resources and beauty that is available as God gifts, as as gifts that God had given to enjoy. But they actually rejected God's good gifts. They weren't satisfied with what God had given. And instead they are the first of all of humanity's godlike striving to control our own destinies. You can find yourself working so, hard for, working so hard for the future that the present passes you by. You find yourself miserable and exhausted and you wonder why. Now listen to the command of God to enjoy his good gifts. Open your home. Have someone around for a meal. Grab someone and go for a coffee. Enjoy God's goodness. This is a kind of a stop and smell the roses kind of passage. But it's not just refreshment, it's also relationships. See verse 9? Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that is given you under the sun. Because that is your portion in life and in all your toil at which you toil under the sun. You see, relationships are at the heart of what is really important in life. As we know, no one on their deathbed ever says, I wish I spent more time at work. It's always relationships that we know are most important. But we so often fail to embrace them well in the present. We need to make time for them, to find joy in them. And the reference to wife here could easily be replaced with husband or mother or daughter, etc., But it actually starts with the closest of relationships. And it's so easy, isn't it, to neglect that relationship and take it for granted. COVID restrictions, I think, have heightened our understanding of the importance of relationships. Uh, On Father's Day, uh, you probably saw the border between Queensland and New South Wales lined with families desperate to see and spend time with each other. I know that people here have recognised that the being separated and the pain that that's caused. See, are you investing then in the relationships that God has blessed you with? Stop work early and play with the kids. Go for a surf with a friend. Get some friends over to hang out and enjoy, uh, enjoy some time together with. Ring your parents and ask them for some advice. Now, here's one for me. Hold your wife's hand and tell her you love her. She'll hold me to that one. I'm just telling you. Stop making excuses for neglecting the relationships that God has given for you to enjoy. You've got to make space and give time for relationships to thrive. Like an untended plant, they don't thrive on neglect. But coming to terms with death and uncertainty also helps us to seize the day. Look at verse 10. 
Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. See, just like verses 5 and 6, this verse is a reminder that you only have one life to live on this earth. Death is decisive, so take hold of today while it's still today. And today is a day to stop being lazy, to stop procrastinating, to stop making excuses. Today is a day for action. As Christians, we must not be idle. I mean, God has actually called us to be productive as human beings made in his image. And perhaps you're one who needs to start taking responsibility for your life. To stop frittering away the time and the talents that God has blessed you with and get on with the responsibility that he gives you. And find joy in those responsibilities, whatever they may be. You can't control everything in life and death is certain. And though at first that might seem a bit depressing, when you accept it and take it to heart, it will liberate you to live well. Now listen to this quote by William Philip from the Tron Church in Scotland. He says, God gives us this life to live to the full before him. For life as it really can be, not for trying to make it what it isn't and what it never can be. See, given the uncertainty of life and the certainty of death, make the most of the life that God has gifted you. Well, secondly, he says that we should live well by being wise, but understanding, of course, the wisdom that wisdom has limits. Now, we covered this a bit last week, so we won't dwell too long here. Uh, in chapter 9, verses 13 to 16, the preacher talks about a great example of wisdom that he saw. Uh, I think we've got a bit of an idea of it in the kids' talk last week. A small city was besieged by a great king and his army, uh, and yet this impossible situation was overcome by one poor but wise man. Verse 15, who by his wisdom delivered the city. It was a remarkable situation that actually causes the preacher uh, to declare in verse 16 that wisdom is better than might. And verse 18, wisdom is better than weapons of war. And yet with the danger averted, uh, look at the outcome, verse 15, yet no one remembered that poor man. Rather, verse 16, the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. In fact, in verse 18, one sinner destroys much good. You see, genuine wisdom is often ignored or dismissed or even destroyed in the face of sinful human folly. And can I say, I think we're actually seeing some disturbing examples of it today in what is being called the cancel culture movement, where history is being erased and flawed but significant individuals are being torn down. Now, sadly, we all face the fickle folly of other human beings. So the preacher is urging us, therefore, to live well by living wisely. But also to remember that even though wisdom is clearly the best way to live, it can still give no guarantees. And sometimes we act wisely, we do good things, but because of time and chance and sin and folly, we may still reap no reward. But that should not stop us from living well by trusting God and having a go. Uh, let's just have a look at our final section in uh, chapter 11, verses 1 to 6. And we pick it up there at verse 1. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you, will f for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. 
Cast your bread upon the waters. Uh, What does he mean? Well, uh, it's probably not about feeding ducks. Um, It actually means doing good things. Uh, This is a call to generosity, to other person-centeredness. Give a portion to seven or even eight. Actually has a sense of giving all you can and then even a little more. Now, I think the passage in the, uh, the daily Bible readings this week was a very good example. So Matthew 25, verses 34 to 40. Let me just read it to you. Then the, and I've truncated it a little bit, but then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came, came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we do all these things? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these of my brothers, you did it to me. See, everything we have belongs to God. They're gifts that he has generously given to us, not to hoard, but to be rich towards God and others with. To use wisely, to give generously. When God is generous to you, share the generosity around. Find ways to be generous, even when times are uncertain, as it says in verse 2. And you don't know what's happening like we see in verse 3. Don't be the fearful one who takes no risk. Look at verse 4 there. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. We can't have control over everything, but don't be fearful. Trust the God who gives you every good gift to enjoy and share. And maybe you think, I don't have much to share. But maybe you have time. Or you can make choices about how you use your time. Maybe there's someone you think, yes, I can give some of my time to them. You can be generous with your time. You can also be generous with people. Allow yourself to be fully present and engaged when you're with someone. Accept people as they are. Give praise, encouragement. Be a blessing to others. And verse 6 tells us to have a go in God's world. Whether that's in your day-to-day life, your family life, your church life, your ministry. Be wise. Don't seek selfish gain. Trust God and do good. Well, that may be true. But at this point, potentially even Jews and Muslims would agree with what I've said. There's nothing much so far to suggest that this is a Christian sermon. The problem is that there seems to be no lasting gain from whatever it is we might achieve or live for in this world. But here is where Christianity adds a perspective to life that we need to understand. If we were to interview a a cross-section of our community, we would probably find, I think, at least three different perspectives on the nature of life. Uh, Some would say that life is a straight, straight line. We're born... We live, we die, end of story. Some would say that life is a cycle. We're born, we live, we're reincarnated somehow as something. A Christian would say that life never ends. We're born, we live, we keep living. See, here is where the gospel, the Christian message, gives us an entirely different perspective. Because of the coming of Jesus, we know what will happen after death. 
Jesus is what the Bible calls the first fruits. He is our forerunner. Uh, he died, but God raised him to life. Because of Jesus' resurrection, we know that death isn't the end. In fact, the New Testament teaches that death is simply the gateway to judgment and eternal life for those who trust in Jesus. I mean, if you're a, a New Testament believer, you know that whatever might happen in this life, nothing can take our eternal home from us. The gospel not only uh, gives us an eternal perspective on life, the gospel also saves us from the vanity of life under the sun. That's why the Apostle Peter uh, makes an even greater call to action in the passage that we read a little bit earlier. 1 Peter chapter 1. Let me pick it up from verse 13. Therefore, he says, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. Exactly what we see in Ecclesiastes, isn't it? Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. In Ecclesiastes, the lack of gain means that life is vanity. The things we pursue are fleeting and frustrating because there is no ultimate gain from them. But for the Apostle Peter, the death and resurrection and return of Jesus changes everything. The return of Jesus means that living for Christ is never in vain. Peter wants believers who live in a world marked by death not to fret, but to live in light of the hope that is ours in Jesus Christ. The preaching of the gospel is what delivers people from vanity to eternal life and hope. And sometimes we forget that belonging to Christ doesn't guarantee our comfort and success and happiness in this life. Some Christians want to promise us health and wealth and success in this life. But the Bible never promises that in this world. We face the effects of this sinful and broken world like anyone else, whether a believer in Jesus or not. We'll make our plans and act wisely in the world, this world, but they won't all work out the way that we hope they will. However, because of Christ's death, I'm sorry, because of Christ, death is not the depressing roadblock that it seems to be. Because of Christ, we are able to look to life beyond death. The gospel actually redeems us from foolish living in this world and of chasing after things that can never ultimately satisfy, in which there is no ultimate gain. But because Christ has been raised from the dead, we do have a legitimate hope. Our actions in serving Jesus will result in glory when Jesus returns. We live with a confident and contented hope because we know the future that God has in store for all those who put their trust in Christ. And for that, there is joy and the desire to get on with living as God has called us to. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Our gracious God, we thank and praise you because there is hope in this world. 
there is joy. There is genuine laughter. There are things that we need to be living for. Confident, Father, that our eternal existence is in your hands. That you have secured it for us already. And though death comes to all, life goes on in your presence. Father, we pray that you would give us wisdom as we live life today and tomorrow and the next day. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.